sometimes be hard to find fresh, engaging, and practical ways to learn about the Catholic faith that feel relevant to your daily life. That's why Ave Maria Press launched its Ave Explores initiative to bring everyday faith to everyday people. Check it out at AveMariaPress.com and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Church Life Today is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. What happens online does not stay online. The borders between the digital world and the flesh and blood world have become rather porous. The ways we think, speak, and act in the digital environment bears meaning for how we think, speak, and act offline, and vice versa, at least to some extent. When we search around in media for Catholic voices or for how Catholics engage with each other in the digital space, what we find is conduct that is often far from charitable and content that leads more readily to polarization than to communion. What is the impact then of digital media and the ways of being that are fashioned in digital space, on concrete Catholic communities, like the parish. My guest today is paying close attention to these phenomena and working to help develop ways and habits of communicating that are more conducive to the gospel. Deacon Matthew Kuna is a transitional deacon in the Diocese of Allentown, He is finishing up his study and formation for the priesthood at St. Charles Borromeo Seminary in Philadelphia. He is also a member of the inaugural cohort in the McGrath Institute for Church Life's Church Communications Ecology Program. That's where pastors, lay ministers, and educators are called to respond to the myriad challenges raised by life in the digital age, and to do so pastorally. He joins me to talk about the ways in which our environments shape us, especially the digital environment, and how we might create better conditions for disciples to be formed for healthy, responsible, and discerning engagement in our increasingly digital world. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life, and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm glad you're here. Deacon Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Lenny. It's great to be here. Deacon Matthew, you joined a program through our own institute, the McGrath Institute for Church Life, called the Church Communications Ecology Program. And for folks who don't know, this program seeks to offer parish leaders the opportunity to develop a deeper understanding of the social, psychological, spiritual effect that digital tools are having, both on individuals and on communities, especially parish communities. You yourself, through this program, homed in on the polarizing effect of many of these digital tools and what we find in digital media, digital space. I'm wondering if you can tell us how your interest in this particular area developed and why you think you were drawn to addressing polarization. Yeah, I think a couple of things piqued my interest with it. One of them being when we look at our country in the last couple of years, we've talked about so much polarization in political discourse. Mm -hmm. We've talked about all the different things um, that have contributed to that. I think, unfortunately, 
the polarization that we're seeing in that sphere has really impacted people in their everyday ability to have conversations about tough issues and of things that are important to them on which we might have differences. One of the things in one of our – so as a seminarian, we have summer assignments as part of our pastoral experiences. And I was very interested in the fact that people were – this is right after the pandemic started, all of the, the shutdowns and – we had just gotten back to mass and I was talking to a couple different parishioners and talking about like, what are the things that like kept you going during the pandemic? You couldn't go to mass, you know, people were watching mm. mass online, but they would talk about podcasts or about articles or things that they were consuming digital media that was kind of fueling them, keeping them going. There were two individuals that mentioned a name to me that I was kind of shocked by because tends to be a little more of a divisive commentator in mm-hmm. the life of the church, to say the least. I don't want to get into to more specifics than that. We can fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. But, but a pretty divisive commentator. And the thing that was interesting to me was these two individuals were vastly different ages. Hmm. One was a retired woman who is faithfully at daily mass, and the other was – a guy a little younger than I am who's a college student listening to the same medium, so to say, the same personality. And I have to be honest, though I didn't react this way when I spoke with them, I was a little concerned. And it piqued my interest. Honestly, the context of the church communications ecology program gave me the tools to think about this a little more. So that was in the back of my mind before we got started with this this cohort program. But the whole point of it was that we were looking to study the environment, particularly this digital environment with all its limitations, with all its shortcomings, into which we're being called to communicate the gospel. And it struck me that the polarizing environment in our political discourse has impacted I think, in a very real way, the ways in which we dialogue as a church, in which we listen to each other as a church, and in which we seek out sources of information. Uh, That's a long answer to to what you asked, but there were a number of factors that led to it, starting, though, with that that experience of hearing these two people from very different places in life who were very much drawn to this polarizing voice. Well, that's an interesting example, if we think about it, because here you have, like you said, this bit of media that's being consumed by very different people of different ages. And so the medium itself or the figure tends to be be more recognized as a divisive figure is actually bringing people together. So it's a, it's a strange dynamic, right? Like there is a kind of bond being created among people who wouldn't normally be brought together. And yet it's divisiveness that's doing it. I was going to say, is that the kind of bond we want to exactly. form? You know, the, there's one of the guys we studied in this program is Marshall McLuhan, whose famous line that is repeated all over the place is that the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. The medium is the message. So when you think, what do we have as the church but the message of salvation, right. the great good news of Jesus Christ, that needs to be reflected in all that we do. We know that intellectually. But when we use media, when we use a means of communication that, in my opinion, is divisive, is hostile, is polarizing, or that doesn't represent the fullness and the beauty of the church's teachings, that impacts how the good news is not only perceived, but received. And 
We have to be attentive to that. We can talk all we want about how awesome it is that the church is is moving into the digital age and is moving into these, these social media, these digital media that have so much potential. But these are tools that if we don't use them well, it's going to affect how we're able to be witnesses to the kingdom of God and communicate the wonderful, beautiful, saving message that the church has for the world. Yeah. You know, as you put it that way, the, I mean, the digital tools are not going away. Digital environment's not going away. I mean, some of us at various times might wish that we could just reset all of this. We're not going to be able to reset it. So the call, therefore, is to use these means, as you say, to communicate the gospel, which will have to do, as you're indicating, with the accuracy and the fullness of the Catholic faith. But it also has to do with the mode of communication, the way in which things are communicated. I guess the the question I would have from there is, I'd love to hear in your words, to what end, right? So if it's the the fullness and the beauty of the gospel that we are called to communicate using all the means we have, including the digital means, and there's a style of communication that's important, to what ought this lead? If people are consuming the media or if they're being engaged by the media, it can't end there, right? Like what should we be looking for as a fruit of this? Heaven. <laughs> there we are. Thanks the, for joining us today. <laughs> that's all you need to know, right? It's a mic drop answer. Yeah. No. Well, I, I don't mean it to be a mic drop answer. It's what is the goal of the work mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. but our sanctification and ultimately our salvation, that we could spend the rest of eternal life in the presence and in relationship with the God who created us. The reality is that's the work that we're called to as the church. The, the reason for the proclamation of the gospel is to draw people into that relationship. Honestly, I think one of the things that upsets me so much about this, you know, the Catholic Twitter storm, some have called it, is that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are seeking, who are looking for the truth, who are intrigued by the Catholic faith, who are drawn maybe by the beauty of her liturgy or the rich heritage or the incredible intellectual tradition that precedes us, and who see the behavior of Christians and are like, do I want to be part of that? Yeah. And the reality is, you know, we talk about digital natives, digital inhabitants, all these these categories. People are online. And when this is our presence online and we are reflecting the very life of the church in this place, we have to pay attention to the fact that people are watching. Yes, the people in our pews are watching, but young people are watching. Seekers are watching. People who might be interested in becoming a Catholic are watching. You know, one of the things that struck me once was asking myself the question, would I ever consider sending someone who is considering the RCIA to Catholic Twitter <laughs> for a sense of the church's life? Right. Talk about a resounding no. <laughs> it, it, these spaces can be such opportunities for us to display the goodness, the truth, and the beauty of our ecclesial life, of our faith. And it's a tremendous opportunity and Again, given this situation, I, I think we have to we have to look critically. How are we communicating in this place? At the end of the day, if it's not to draw souls closer to God and to promote communion with one another and with the church, then then it's not worth it. Mm-hmm.
This is Leonard Lorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Deacon Matthew Kuna, a transitional deacon preparing for priesthood in the Diocese of Allentown. We're talking about the growing phenomenon of polarization in Catholic digital media and in parish life, and we're going to talk about what to do about it. When we talk about the digital tools, the digital environment, maybe there's a couple of things. There are a number of different things we can talk about, but let's just sort of pare it down to at least a couple. One, you were talking about from previously this little anecdote of these two parishioners who are both consuming the same kind of content. So this is one way in which people engage in the digital space is to take in content. They're the consumers of what somebody else is putting out. Another way, and this might have to do more with the Catholic Twitter storm, right? It's a space of some kind of engagement, like you're engaging with other people. So on the on the one hand, with the content, it has to do with the mode of delivery of the one who's giving the content and what you're consuming. On the other, it has to do with the way in which especially Catholics, are engaging with one another in the public square. Do you think it is inevitable, especially on this latter end with the engagement, that these digital spaces become echo chambers where we, over time, just sort of curate the voices we hear, the people we engage with, the way in which we speak, so that we just basically reaffirm what we already wanted to hear in the first place? Or is there the possibility of some kind of real encounter where you can disagree, change your mind, any of that stuff? Well, I think there's certainly possibility there in terms of it actually being a space in which discourse is possible. However, you mentioned the echo chamber. I mean, I want to make a a distinction here. So sometimes it's important for us to go to places where the church's good news is being proclaimed, to be affirmed that we are on the right track. That's not what we're talking about with like confirming what we already believe. That's good. Catechesis is about echoing that which is the the message of salvation. So we're we're not talking about just listening to things that are reflective of orthodoxy. Like that's very good. This, particularly the echo chamber, I see, again, from – from these various experiences and what we studied in the program oftentimes have to do with things that people are upset with Hmm. in the church. Hmm. So whether that is decisions that were made, failures in action, failures in living out the witness that we're called to do, oftentimes these are very good and noble feelings of, of righteous anger. However, sometimes when we go, as we, we've been calling this like a Twitter storm, when we, when we go into these places where people are commenting all about what's wrong with the life of the church, these spaces can oftentimes just be a place where I can feel my, my emotions and my anger amplified. I think that's one of the things that I'm a future parish priest. I, I'm, I'm thinking very critically about how would I as a pastor respond to this? You know, I'd want to challenge people to, to look at what are my motivations behind hearing these perspectives and contributing to these conversations online, whether that's in a comment box or in a Twitter thread or whatever it is? I mean, the reality is a lot of times our initial responses, when why am I listening to, to this maybe divisive voice or this voice that's kind of deviating from, from church teaching? Why am I why am I seeking it out? We might initially say, well, I want to listen to someone who's going to proclaim the truth boldly. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to hear it clear and I want to hear it loud. 
Others might say, well, I want to listen to a commentator that actually portrays the church as compassionate or affirming or accepting. Okay, true, those might be some initial motivations, but is there something a level deeper within our hearts that we need to examine that really this might be fueling vice within us, that it might be just filling some gaping hole that we're looking for something else, but we're filling it with with garbage. I think also the, the question, you know, real question, you mentioned an echo chamber earlier. Am I just looking for a space where my anger is going to be amplified? Mm. They're, they're critical questions we have to ask. And I, I think the parish priest has the opportunity to, to challenge people that way and to, again, not like censor what people are, are looking at online or like try to tell people, oh, this guy's good. Oh, that one's not. Like more so give people the principles and, and form them in a way that they can look at these situations and they can say, you know what? This is not helping me grow in my prayer life. This is not helping me grow in the life of faith. It's not helping me grow in virtue. Hmm. I, I do think I don't have an answer to how we how we solve you know polarization in the United States or how we solve polarization in the church, but I, I do think in terms of how our parishioners and our, our people engage with this with digital media in the in the Catholic world, I think we can help form them as to how to discern which sources are good. Yeah. No, I really like what you're saying here. I listened to you as part of a panel presentation just yesterday, and somebody asked a question in response to your presentation about, you know, is the answer to what you're talking about here a sort of stamp of approval of these are the the kind of Catholic voices that should be able to speak in the public square, maybe something like a mandatum or something like that. And, you know, you graciously accepted the the proposal and said, you know, maybe there's something to that. But you kind of turned the conversation back towards this type of formation towards discernment, to build up within the faithful the tools and the abilities to be able to discern for themselves. And to me, in hearing that, that sounds like dignifying and taking very seriously the responsibility of all Christians, that we ought to become stronger and more discerning. We ought to become agents of our own engagement in the in the media space. Not that we get there all by ourselves. We're formed and we form each other towards it. So that seems like a actually what was at first a sort of slight deviation seems like a paradigmatic shift. Like on the one hand, we want somebody else to do the work for us. But what you're saying is, no, we need to form each other to be able to do this work, to become more mature Christians, to discern. Well, the word you used is is perfect because we are moral agents Hmm. as as human persons. And I think part of what I, I proposed with this church communications ecology program is that the role of the parish priest a big part of it is to help form people in the virtues. Two of the great ways that we are called to nourish the people of God as clergy to to feed my sheep, as, as our Lord told St. Peter, is by our preaching and our teaching. Forming the people of God and the virtues, I think, can help them in all areas of life obviously flourish. But when we look at our technological habits, I think a robust formation in the virtues can really give people the tools to make these decisions. Um, I think in particular, when we talk about social media and which which sources to look at, a real good look at the virtues of prudence and charity. I think justice as well, but th- those two really strike me as ones that that could be very helpful to people in, in growing with respect to their technological habits. I, if I can just jump back, Lenny, a yeah. second. 
we talked about this mandatum yesterday at the, the advisory council meeting, and it was an interesting proposition. Bishop Robert Barron, I believe about a year, year and a half ago, actually floated the idea maybe we could have a mandatum similar to what Pope St. John Paul II called for in Ex Corde Ecclesiae for Catholic university professors and those who are teaching the faith. Perhaps there is something there that could be considered, something um, to kind of verify that this is good orthodox teaching that is reflected here. But honestly, I don't know if that's going to impact whether or not someone subscribes to a nasty podcast Mm -hmm. or whether or not somebody, you know, chooses to listen to a divisive figure or a figure that's not, that's teaching something that's not reflective of the beauty and fullness of the Catholic faith. So I think it's, I I think it's an interesting proposal and I wouldn't want to poo-poo it by any means, but we can do something in the interim. We don't need, we don't need a, a stamp of approval from on high necessarily at first to get us moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on the Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Deacon Matthew Kuna, transitional deacon preparing for priesthood in the Diocese of Allentown. We're talking about the growing phenomenon of polarization in Catholic digital media and in parish life and trying to think about what we might do about it. In terms of what we might do about it, you mentioned building up Uh, the virtues in the faithful and the role of, say, the parish priest in facilitating that, perhaps the role of other pastoral leaders. We could think about parents, of teachers. But I love the the focus you put here on the virtues of prudence and charity. And maybe we can just talk about prudence for a moment. Absolutely. Prudence requires a great deal of silence. (laughs) And the media environments that we find ourselves in are almost, well, let's just say they're antithetical to silence. You have to keep feeding them. And in fact, they encourage more and more speaking, even for someone who might start out as kind of wise and thoughtful. The audience that they bring to themselves is going to want to hear more and more. And so even for the purveyors of information, the content creators, they're always under pressure to say more. So in order to build up this virtue, maybe on the side of the the content creators, but also for us as listeners, as the ones who are being engaged, who engage with one another, how important is silence, growing in silence for this virtue of prudence? Well, it's incredibly important if if we, we believe what is said in the tradition of the church, that the language of God is silence, mm. then we need to allow ourselves to enter into that, that space. One of the things that there are many different ways about talking about digital technology. Some ca- talk about the digital continent. Some talk about the digital sphere. I like the image of the digital highways, and I'll tell you why. A highway takes you someplace. Hmm. If our goal in communicating the message of salvation is heaven, then we need to use these digital highways in a way that would draw people into that which sanctifies them. So a deeper life of prayer, an engaged life in the community. I'm not saying these are easy things for right. somebody who's a who's a digital content creator to facilitate, but there's something there we need to consider. Is Catholic media, Catholic digital media, whether it be a podcast or, or blog posts or conversations in various spheres, are they created in such a way to not only help someone come to greater knowledge of the faith, greater uh, understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, but are they helping the person get back to what's most important? Again, the two things that strike me, 
the life of prayer and engagement in the community of faith. You mentioned about parish life. I mean, if something like this, if polarizing content is affecting people in the pews in a way that they're talking about it, you know, in one sense, maybe it's good that they're they're talking about it in person and you know, whether they're masked or not, you know, just being in a space where they're able to to discuss these things. But I would worry that they could actually plant seeds of division mm. when people do come together to have conversations. Back to what you were saying, yes, I, I think that we need to look critically at how do we allow these media to draw us back to what's most important. Mm. And again, those those critical things that we need for our our journey towards heaven. Yeah, I have, you know, a I think this is a little bit of an interesting reflection. I just it sort of dawned on me over the last couple of years that you know, I've been in the same parish now for coming on two decades oh, awesome. um, since we've been here in South Bend. And I know a good number of people in the parish. I like people in the parish. We get, you know, I enjoy celebrating the liturgy with them, coming together for face sharing. A lot of these people, or a number of the people within the parish, though, like some of us are active in social media as well, especially those of us who have just a little bit more of a public uh, kind of role in our teaching and speaking and things like that. And what I found is people, you know, we like each other very much and we we can pray together. We can do all the things of parish life together. But in the digital space, we end up a lot of times kind of bickering or, you know, being pulled apart a little bit. It's a little bit acrimonious. And fortunately, we can come back to the parish and it doesn't bleed over there because I think we're aware of that, but it makes me realize that it might be an exception that that doesn't come back into the parish. Like if people don't have, you know, a couple of decades of experience knowing each other, praying together, and it's just the kind of tribalism that's there in the digital space where you become this kind of Catholic or that kind of Catholic, and there's no in between, that's got to, in the end, affect parish life, doesn't it? Are you have you seen this in some of the, you know, the parish spaces where you've been? How does this manifest itself? As a transitional deacon, I don't have a, a whole lot of of pastoral experience. I can say that I have seen that phenomenon, though, of where someone might identify themselves as a as a traditional Catholic or a social justice Catholic, mm-hmm. or those kinds of things. I would bet that these kinds of tribes as as you allude to could be fueled by by the online content that they're they're receiving that they're consuming but i also wonder if it's if part of it is that we as a church in general need to show people how integrated and cohesive all of those things are one of my heroes is servant of god dorothy day and the reason why is you cannot put her into one of these banal <laughs> categories <laughs> That, that people try to, to create. She was a woman who radically loved the poor, who, who lived voluntary poverty, um, who fought for the little guy. But you know what? That woman prayed the liturgy of the hours. Mm-hmm. Benedict and Oblate. She, she was nourished by the Eucharist every day. And it was from that place, that liturgical life that she was living, that flowed this tremendous love for the poor. There was nothing fractured Mm. about it. Why do I bring up Dorothy Day? Dorothy Day wasn't listening to podcasts. (laughs) We have a rich tradition that does not fall into these dumb categories that our society is trying to place us. 
whether it's the whether it's the realities of conservatism or liberalism, traditionalism or progressivism, we're Catholic. And in a sense, that Catholicity, that orthodoxy, that that expression of the faith of, of Jesus Christ shines above all of those categories. Our digital media, if they are feeding into those very horizontal categories that don't really have a good view towards heaven, I would say that they're they're really not worthy of our consideration. Yeah, that example that was a long answer. No, I'm sorry. that is a that's a profound and insightful answer to think of Dorothy Day here, and it, I think it helps me to think back on this little example that I I was trying to tease out here in real time. That I think maybe one of the things I've recognized from what you said is that I I began in this example from the parish communion, right? And then I'm seeing like what happens in the digital space, even among parishioners, or maybe it's not our, our own parish, but other Catholics I know, I really know in the area, and we have mutual affection for each other. And sometimes we're pulled apart. And it makes me think that perhaps the digital space will do that almost inevitably, because it continually introduces wedge issues in which you have to choose a side. Yeah. Like you were saying, you're this kind of Catholic or that kind of Catholic relative to this. And so I also – I'm wondering also like isn't that what feeds the algorithm in the digital spaces? Like because it creates more engagement, it's going to go to the top. You're going to want to find more wedge issues. Yes, and I think also it it points back to a very key principle of this program that we did at McGrath, Church Communications Ecology. Ecology. The environment in which we're communicating shapes not only the nature of the discourse, but it shapes who we are. Our environments have an effect on us. And it's something that not only we need to be aware of, but we need to critically assess. The environment that we are creating with Catholic media does have an effect on us. I think that's that's why I'm, I'm so interested in how can a priest – be a clear voice in formation towards the virtues because you know how do you develop virtues you practice them you learn about them you 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 know you, when you when you really examine what are the vices opposed to this virtue or how are the ways that it it manifests itself you know you take that all in but when you practice it it becomes a habit you can develop a stable disposition towards that virtue and i think that's a great antidote to what this the toxicity or the the hostility of the digital environment can sometimes try to impose on us. We are moral agents and we don't just have to succumb to this Twitter storm or this, this environment in which the truth, goodness, and beauty of our faith is not shining. Well, Deacon Matthew, this has been a very rich, engaging conversation. Thank you for bringing this to our attention and for sharing this with me and with our listeners really appreciate it. Lenny, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be here. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The Golden Rule. 
When you schedule a financial checkup with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our people will be helpful and honest and kind. They will look for ways to save you money, and when your checkup is complete, they will send $150 to Redeemer Radio. For more info, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.